0: This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. We've covered a lot of ground here already and uh, getting ready to cover some more. Uh, There's lots of uh, health subjects to talk about. Really, your health is your wealth. It's so important. I hear so many couples uh, that don't actually take this to heart. Uh, they don't realize how taking care of their own health leads to respect uh, by your other partner, especially if they're a health freak. You often, I don't know, sometimes opposites attract and and sometimes people get together and one is a mountain biker and a hiker and the other one is happy to sit on the couch and and uh, surf the net or scroll through their phone and, and really live a sedentary life. And I think it's really important that if you are in a relationship with somebody else, That you take care of your health. It is your responsibility to do that. I hear so often people talking about um, how they're not attracted to their spouse any longer because their spouse has gained a significant amount of weight. I'm telling you, significant amount of weight gain is a huge turnoff, especially for women. Uh, Guys don't seem to be that bothered by it, but they may be bothered equally by the fact that their uh, female partner or even male partner is not that active, doesn't take care of themselves, drinks a little bit too much is addicted to chewing tobacco or is addicted to alcohol or marijuana uh, or has anxiety or actually, you know, doesn't take, uh, takes the easy way out, doesn't take, you know, some, sometimes some of these things, you know, it takes a little bit of, of work and energy and time and research to get over your childhood, for example, come to accept what was, was, um, you know, to get into a place of reality. And and actually deal with the issues, you know, from a rational mind and not making excuses for for your past. I mean, certainly by uh, you know by any measure, uh, any sexual abuse or sexual trauma is certainly traumatic and will have an impact on one's emotional health and intimate health as well. And that is a serious issue, and and there is help available. Although I hear from from people that. Um, you know, they're waiting six to eight weeks for help with sexual abuse. It takes a person a long time to actually get the courage and the confidence to, to, you know, try and seek help because there's so much shame associated with that and so much stigma. And unfortunately we don't have easy access to this type of help. It's not easy. It's a process. It's often a lifelong process, but your health is so important and um, so in this hour, we're going to continue to focus on health here on the Sunday Night Health Show. But of course, I do uncover lo- what lies beneath the covers. So um, we are going to be talking about uh, your emails, for example. I, you know what? Thank you so much. Emailing me at com is fantastic. They're all confidential. Uh, If I do read them, which I'm going to read some in this uh, hour of the program, keep in mind that I am maintaining your confidentiality. Names are either withheld or changed to protect the guilty. Um, No, so I really kind of change it without changing the sentiment of the email, because I would never want somebody to think that I was reading their email online and that somebody could actually find out who they were. But I am going to read some of your emails and and maintain that sentiment and and in an effort to help other people. And that's why I really appreciate your emails coming in because... If somebody, one of the most common questions I hear is, have you ever seen this before? Have you ever heard of this before? And it's just like, well, 14 million people have watched my 10X talk. So I think a few other people have problems with loneliness and cheating and shame and, and sexless marriage and low sexual desire and vaginal health issues and penis problems. And uh, we're going to be talking about penis problems. And um, and we're paving the way for new treatments in the future. I've saved this segment for this time. But the first Penis transplant has happened at Johns Hopkins, and I'm going to be telling you a little bit about that. Also, um, you know, we want a quick fix in this world. Everything's fast. Everything's fast paced. It's coming at us like nobody's business. And oftentimes, we think I have a problem. You can't. You know, I can't deal with it. I need. I need medication. I need help. And so you go to your doctor. And you know, if you're one of the really unlucky ones, they might prescribe a benzodiazepine like Ativan or something like that which is highly addictive. Or if you're, you know, still unlucky, but less unlucky, they might prescribe an antidepressant for a situational problem in your relationship. I'm going to tell you a story about a gentleman who I saw on VC, which is a digital online platform that I use. It's a HIPAA compliant for privacy program that I use to see patients around the globe, quite frankly, because these problems are not limited to Canadians. Um, And so uh, this gentleman was just... And prior to seeing me, he was panic-stricken at the breakup of his relationship. He was upset. He felt like he was having a heart attack. And he basically had broken heart syndrome. Uh, but by the time a week had gone by and his doctor had prescribed the antidepressant, and believe me, the antidepressant hadn't started working yet because it actually takes two weeks for the antidepressants to cross the blood-brain barrier and actually start to take effect. Uh, up to, up until that period of time, you're likely to feel tingling in your peripheral um in your in your limbs, in your arms and legs, or you might feel some other things that's circulating that, that medication, the SSRI is circulating throughout your bloodstream. And um but it takes two weeks to cross the blood blood brain barrier and it takes about two to three months to optimize the medication. So the medication hadn't even started working. And I was really uh, unhappy that his doctor had prescribed an antidepressant and he was unaware and you know what? It's not necessarily the doctor's fault, but he was unaware of some of the potential side effects that he could experience like sexual side effects. So he could actually experience low sexual desire uh, or erectile dysfunction on um, on these medications. And neither of those issues had he ever experienced before. The other thing, which is what I really want to focus on tonight, is withdrawal from antidepressants. You know what? Antidepressants might be uh, perceived as a quick fix. Um, but you know what? It's often titrating the dose and, and trying out different ones. And But also, once you are on them, you know what? you got to come off. And there is something called antidepressant withdrawal syndrome, and that is severe. That can be very tough. You can have nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, worsening anxiety. There, You can have thoughts of suicide. I do ha- uh, know of a patient who came off of Prozac, one of the antidepressants, one of the SSRIs, and too quickly, and it led to suicidal thoughts. And she happened to, I mean, I can't actually say 100% it was cause cause and effect, But um, one week later, she died by suicide. So these are, you have to be very careful in coming off those medications extremely slowly. This is not something that you should do by yourself. This is something that you should do in conjunction with your doctor and also your family, people in your family, your lovers, your friends, because if they notice symptoms, one thing people with depression lack is insight. And so you've also got to establish an exercise program. It's, you know what, every single day, go to the gym, pound the pavement, uh, do keep moving. It is so good for the mind and so good for uh, any type of depressive symptoms. But you've also got to incorporate the people who love you because they actually know, hey, you're getting a little obsessive there or you're getting a little irritable or, or you know, it, you just don't seem quite uh, as good. And so you might want to... Add a little bit, you know, take um, a pill on a day that you hadn't if you were weaning off. But, you know, oftentimes alcohol withdrawal sim- symptoms are uh, can take six months. Also going to be talking about um, divorce. You know, divorce is uh, always in the news. Fifty percent of marriages end up in divorce. But what if you are a woman who has never worked and you divorce at the age of 50? Is 50 the new 30 Um, you know what, I suppose if you can afford the Botox and the fillers and the, and the lips, (laughs) then maybe, um, you know, it's, you're the new 30. I don't know. I never thought trout lips looked too good myself. I was at a laser conference. I think I told you that last week. And, um, seriously, I was like a fish out of water. Um, and people were just really trying to get at me and just offering me all sorts of, um, all sorts of injections and fillers and, and all that kind of thing. I, it's not my style. I think that, um, natural looks, you know, um, you know, I, I, have a little bit of a crooked uh, tooth and, uh, I feel like, Oh, if I got Invisalign or something, a a straightener, I might not look like me. I mean, not that I really want to look like me. I'd much rather look like somebody else, but, um, but you know what, there's something about you that's you, that's inherently you. And, you know, people have known that, you know, I've got this bit of a crooked, uh, Uh, smile, and and, uh, I talk out of the right-hand side of my mouth. And, you know, so do I really want to straighten out that little area? I don't know. Anyway, can't be overthinking that. I don't want to waste time too much on that. Um, because overthinking is one of the main causes of unhappiness. And so you know what? It's just important to um live your best life. you know, be a uh, uh, clear conscience is a soft pillow. You know, it really helps you to sleep uh, at night and and to sleep well. But if you do have problems with sleep, you should actually uh, get some help around that there's lots of sleep hygiene Um, and apparently it's different um, we're different types of sleepers you might be a teenage sleeper you might be a toddler sleeper or even as an adult but I also want to talk about weight because um, you know fat finances and uh, and sexual desire I think they're all related so I want to talk to you about um, you know accepting that uh, your weight and that it might actually be a turnoff for your lover. So when I come back, I'm going to dive into the antidepressant treatment and the withdrawal syndrome. I am Maureen McGrath and you are listening to the Sunday night health show. Welcome back to the Sunday night health show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for being here with me. Always my pleasure. Pleasure is good in life and uh, anytime you can enjoy Pleasure. It can be pleasurable. Life is to be enjoyed, not endured. Have I said that before? Uh, you know what? Sometimes people endure life. Life becomes hard. People can't handle certain things. They may have a predisposition to anxiety. Uh, some oftentimes people go to their doctors because of their anxiety or because of the mood disorder. Irritable uh, depression is common in men. And. Um, you know, getting, losing your cool over things, not sleeping, uh, appetite issues. These can all be signs of depression, which is a physical uh, illness. So, But there's certainly stigma associated with it, even though uh, there's uh, been many, many prescriptions written for antidepressant medications. And many antidepressant. many people have been helped tremendously by the newer, and they're not so new anymore, they've been around probably 15 years, the newer SSRIs, um, Uh, serotonin reuptake, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Um, And so these have, you know, not as many side effects as some of the older antidepressants, but still... Um, they certainly can have side effects like sexual side effects, for example, and that can impact your relationship. So on the one hand, the anger that you are bestowing upon your partner, the irritability, the lack of sleep, the weight loss, the, you know, can impact your intimate relationship. But then you get treated and you know what? You might have sexual side effects like low sexual desire or erection function issues. So, you know, you can't win for losing basically, but you know what, we can help one with another. And I was interested in this case that I had this week. It was a gentleman who came to see me on my digital platform, VC. Uh, it's a HIPAA uh, HIPAA platform. It's a HIPAA regulated for privacy uh, platform <clears throat> to see patients around the globe. And so he came to see me and he had had a heartbreak. His girlfriend had found somebody else. Oh, my gosh. Um, which can be so heartbreaking. And I'm not, um, you know, I mean, it, it's just terrible, really. But, you know what, even in the relationship, the relationship didn't even sound healthy. But that's for another show. Um, but, you know what, He it doesn't matter. He was heartbroken. And, and so he went to his doctor in a panic because he was texting her, don't do this, uh, if you can help it. And he was just like, uh, you know, I'm heartbroken. I can't believe you've broken up with me. Who is this guy? I suspected something was going on, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so what does his doctor do? His doctor prescribes not only an antidepressant, but some of the antidepressants have a side effect of uh, sleep of insomnia, so sleeping issues. So she also prescribed a sedative, a sleeping pill for him, too. So here we are, not only just giving one pill, and believe me, I'm all for antidepressants, uh, you know, for people with clinical depression. But I didn't think this guy had clinical depression. This guy had a bit of situational anxiety, perhaps heartbreak syndrome, which is very real. And he felt like he was having a heart attack. The reason he actually went to his doctor is because he got frightened, because he was sending those text messages. And she actually texted back and said, if you text me again, I'm going to get a restraining order on you. So you know what? Pretty easy to get a restraining order, uh, especially these days. And you know, you don't want that. And the guy didn't want that to affect his career. And so he panicked, went to the doctor. The doctor gave him a pill antidepressant and so by the time he came to see me which is like a week later he'd been on the antidepressants for a week which it's not enough time to actually start working and so if you're going to come off antidepressants i mean you've really got to talk to your doctor about this but i just think that you know and and in gp offices today there's not enough time to give all of the information and the important information And i think one of the most important pieces of information around antidepressant medications is the sexual side effects i'm gonna slow her down because i feel like i'm talking too fast But, um, and I apologize for that. But the other one is antidepressant withdrawal syndrome. So often people are prescribed an antidepressant to help boost their mood or ease the anxiety. But as soon as you feel better, you might assume that you no longer need to take that medication. So you stop taking it. And what happens? You may experience flu-like symptoms or feel like you have the stomach bug, or maybe you find it hard to think and you might be having disturbing thoughts as well. So you might likely be having discontinuation symptoms. And I think people need to know that prior to taking the prescription, or they at least need to talk to their doctor about, okay, what is this going to do for me? What is this going to do to me? And when I want to come off this, do I need to stay on this for a long time? A lot of people are on these medications 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and it's going to take longer for you to come off. But you know what? These should be short-term medications, and they should be in conjunction with talk therapy and walk therapy. Because 30 minutes of walking a day is as good for any depression as mild to moderate. Now, I didn't think this guy had met the criteria for uh, major clinical depression because, you know what, he had a situation here. Otherwise, the week before when he didn't know his girlfriend was sleeping with somebody else, he didn't have any anxiety or depression. And so this was situational. But, you know, oftentimes doctors want to do something and they want to help. When antidepressants that affect the brain chemical serotonin are suddenly stopped, the body may respond with physical and emotional symptoms. And this is caused by the sudden absence of increased serotonin levels that occur while you are taking the antidepressant. So that's how the antidepressant works. It boosts your serotonin levels. So these symptoms aren't technically the same as physical withdrawal from a drug, like physical withdrawal from heroin or something. This is a physiological withdrawal. And, um, well, the, the that is a physiological withdrawal and that it happens when someone is taking a drug that can be addictive. Antidepressants are not addictive. So when somebody is taking heroin That is a physiological withdrawal, leads to drug seeking and craving. And you know what? People think, how can they? They've lost everything. How can they still want the drug? But they still do because it's addiction. Antidepressants are not addictive or habit forming. So unlike drug withdrawal, antidepressant discontinuation effects are not related to addiction. I want to be clear on that. But they can reflect physiological consequences of stopping a drug. Same as when somebody who has diabetes, for example, stops Insulin. So about 20% of people who take an antidepressant for six or more weeks may experience discontinuation symptoms. Antidepressants start to work after about two weeks. They cross the blood-brain barrier after two weeks and that takes about six to eight weeks for them to start to to be optimized. So if you want to come off I would suggest tapering down your medication gradually under the supervision of your doctor or healthcare provider but also incorporate your lovers your family your friends into this somebody a trusted colleague a trusted friend so that if you start to develop symptoms days after stopping the antidepressant somebody that you can trust can say listen you know what you're you're not you're not kind of being yourself and and so um, you might want to take uh, the antidepressant again, even if it's temporary, because the symptoms will rapidly go away when you start taking the antidepressant again. So we don't really know who will experience these um, this antidepressant discontinuation symptoms, uh, discontinuation syndrome. But um, there are some antidepressants that are harder to stop. And I think people need to know that. All depression drugs can lead to discontinuation symptoms, but some are more likely to do it than others. Um, So antidepressant uh, labels often warn that stopping the medication too quickly may lead to bothersome symptoms, but discontinuation symptoms are more likely with those antidepressants that stay in your body for a shorter period of time, especially those that affect both serotonin and norepinephrine. And these are things like venlafaxine or duloxetine. Some other short-acting medications that may affect serotonin include citalopram, escitalopram, paroxetine, and sertraline. So some of the symptoms of antidepressant discontinuation can be anxiety, depression and mood swings, dizziness and balance problems, electric shock sensations, especially in your brain, fatigue, flu-like symptoms, headache, loss of coordination, muscle spasms, nausea, nightmares, tremors, trouble sleeping, and vomiting. So you need to stop antidepressants safely, and you talk therapy will help. Starting to exercise will also help. Sometimes a doctor can prescribe a medication as well. So you know what? Just know about it, understand, do your research, talk to your doctor. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath. In the final strokes of the program, we're talking about money, women, and divorce, You know, have you heard of the gray divorce? Well, it is forcing a financial reckoning for 50-plus women. Many women who divorce at age 50, and believe me, the divorce rate has doubled for the 50-plus crowd since the 1990s. Could it have something to do with Botox and fillers? I don't know. Um, But this can mean something far more prosaic for this crowd. It means they need to shoulder the big financial decisions they'd let their spouses deal with when they were married. You know, I had a couple in my clinical practice this week who, um, they, uh, oh my gosh, they had so much money that they had lost that had they had earned and they had lost. Um, it was so first world problematic to me that, uh, anyhow, I almost had no patience for it. But I really don't like to judge. Um, but nonetheless, regardless, because of the major gains and losses, this caused her tremendous stress. So you can imagine. Um, people who don't really have a lot of money who might be living paycheck to paycheck or might be living with somebody who's got a gambling habit or somebody who is irresponsible financially or likes to take risks or lives beyond their means, you can imagine that that will create some anxiety and stress and it may lead to problems in the bedroom, so it may lead to low sexual desire, which is certainly what it led to in this uh, relationship with this couple, but also uh, he had gained 125 pounds and so that also affected their relationship as well. Um and she wasn't attracted to him because he had gained all that weight, even though he was a, a giant man. He was about six, six. But nonetheless, uh, having that extra weight on him was a turnoff. And you know what? It's a turnoff for a lot of people and 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 you know, he was so bravado at the beginning of the of the um meeting of the consults and, you know, and he was just like, um he had seen my TEDx talk about the no-sex marriage, and he was just like, I loved your candor, and I just loved your approach, and, you know, this is important. You are absolutely right. This is important. But you know what? There are certain circumstances that, you know, people need to take responsibility for. And so by the end of it, when she finally came out with – and and I wasn't expecting this. I actually would have expected her to say this on uh, – on a a consult where i was speaking to her one-on-one versus telling him but she did she came out and she said to him you know because he had been saying she's never like sex and she doesn't you know even if we have a lot of money she still doesn't want to have sex and if we have no money she still doesn't want to have sex so you know what there's another problem there it's not necessarily perhaps the money and so finally she came out with it and she said i'm not attracted to you you are overweight and, you know, you've gained so much weight since our marriage. And I'm just not attracted to that. And I'm also not attracted to the fact that that you just eat whatever you want and you don't exercise and you have no respect for your body. So he was kind of angry at that. And he was just like, you know, he just didn't really even know how to deal with that. And um and, and he what could he say? Uh, not much really. And, and you know what, it's also, there's so many mixed emotions when somebody says that because you feel less than perfect. And, you know, we all want to feel perfect and, um or, you know, at least good or the best we can be. And, and, you know, it's hard to lose weight. It's so hard and you've got to be motivated and you've got to be persistent and you've got to stick to it. And you, and you know, you've got to deal with emotional eating perhaps, and you've got to be able to deal with the hunger pangs and, and, you know, so I, I actually send uh, my all in diet to patients and I, and I said I would send it to him and he, he's Said his, you know, his response was his. His mood had changed from the beginning to the, you know, what she should have sex with me. It's a responsibility in a marriage and blah blah blah. To, um, okay, well, I'll take a look at your diet. So you know, I could really tell that it had changed. But you know, that's weight. This is finances, and you know what? It's amazing how many people have head in the sand. Economics is what I call it. Hitzy. Um, when you just have no idea, you know, perhaps your husband is earning the earning the big bucks, but you have no idea really what is going on with um your finances in the house you don't really care and you don't really care until a devastation occurs i have a couple in my clinical practice he moved countries for her they met he had a lovely life in his home country he had two children he was divorced he had a couple of kids he had a girlfriend but when he met her he just the two of them just had this chemical attraction they fell in love uh he moved from his country to this country he could not get a job. he cannot get a job here. That has led to depression. it has she had some issues at work. She then um, uh, she then had lawsuits. These, these issues at work led to lawsuits. She was falsely accused of something. She became very stressed, very depressed. She started gambling away uh, the money any money that they had. He had a, had a $300,000 uh, a year job when he came to this country he couldn't get any job. He's now an Uber driver. Um, but, and that took a while, but he's also now suffering with depression. They are in a sexless marriage. Finances have been a huge issue for this relationship. And, you know, they've been together like four or five years and they're staying together. He says he's still crazy about her. He just lacks sexual desire. She's suffering. Um, And so you can see how finances um, plays a major role. They have significant debt and, you know, they're just trying to start over again. So, finances are really important. You've got to pay attention to them every single day. A majority of married women, 56%, in fact, still leave major investing and financial planning decisions to their spouse, according to a report, Own Your Worth, released by UBS Global Wealth Management. And it's not just older women that are slipping into more traditional gender roles of their parents before them, but about 61% of millennial women said said they leave investment decisions to their husbands. That compares with 54% for baby boomer, boomer women. You know what? Men are a little bit less res, risk averse than um, women are. And so, you know, if you've got to understand the risk that each of you will take and the, you know, what you're comfortable with and how much you're comfortable losing should investments, um, you know, go go sour. UBS surveyed more than 600 women who have either been divorced or widowed within the last five years, along with 1,500 couples, and respondents had to have at least a quarter of a million in investable assets. The difference is stark in the attitudes towards making major financial decisions between married women and women who, di- who were divorced or widowed. 59% of widows and divorcees regret not taking part in long-term financial planning when they were a couple. of married women who weren't active in making long-term financial decisions said their spouse knows more about financial issues than they do. 80% of women said they were content with how financial responsibilities were split in their marriage. One of the most attractive things about women for guys is that if they can balance a checkbook. So if they can take care of the finances, you got to know how much is in your bank account, every single bank account you have you've got to know how your money's laundered. No, you've got to know uh, what your investments are, how much they're making, what the fees are, what, you know, is it worth it? You've got to put, you know, a rule I've lived by is put away 14% of every dollar that comes into your house. Then you have a savings and if you need to tap into it, you've got somewhere to go for it. Women have made tremendous strides in the workplace and in life, but they are still abdicating important financial decisions. This will profoundly affect your future, whether you were together with somebody or whether you were apart. I see a lot of older women in my clinical practice, widows, divorced women. They struggle financially. They put had put no plan in place. And then all of a sudden they've lost their fortune. There is a case in uh, West Vancouver, out in British Columbia, of a woman who had $800,000 taken, um, basically stolen Um, from her through a scam. So, you know, you've got to protect your assets, protect your money, protect your capital. Um, There are certain rules for investing. You know, what? it's something to learn. It's a great thing to understand. Financial health is just as important as sexual health. Um, So, you know what, you don't want to live with regret and wish that you were involved more in finances. You can't, it's always, I always recommend for women as well to actually Uh, make their own way in life you know I don't care how much money your husband makes or your partner makes I really don't care as long as you can independently take care of yourself there's power in that and I think that's really important and so uh, in this survey eight out of ten um were more active in the financial decision making in their current relationship. And that's really what it should be because often divorcees have been found that they've been burned by financial surprises that popped up in the split. They didn't know that. Or often you hear of people hiding their money um, and people can do that um, as well. So, not all the surprises were negative. Some women discovered that they had retirement saving plans that they didn't even know existed. And then they got 50% of that. Um, a lot of people can't even afford to divorce today. So especially if, you know, the houses in your area are expensive. So anyway, in hindsight, 94% of widows and divorcees would insist on complete financial transparency with your spou- their spouse. And you should do the same. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the final stroke of the Sunday night health show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. Uh, You know, I talk a lot about uh, obesity and weight gain and, and body image and all those sorts of things in my clinical practice or with patients that I see on digital platforms. Um, and you know, I talk a lot about BMI as well, the body mass index. But there's a new study out that shows body fat percentage, not BMI, predicts risk. So, this is something I'm going to incorporate into my clinical practice. And this, the results of this new study urge healthcare providers like myself and you, if you're a healthcare provider, to account for body fat distribution in addition to body mass index in their decision to screen people for diabetes and prediabetes. I hear so many people that have type two diabetes and it's a lifestyle condition. Body mass index is a traditional measurement that divides a person's weight by their height to find out whether they have a healthy weight and then it's put into you know normal weight or obesity. But increasing amounts of studies have been questioning the usefulness and the accuracy as an indicator of cardiometabolic health. It's actually the distribution of fat rather than the total amount these studies suggest that may give us more clues about the risk of conditions like insulin resistance hypertension or high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, and even cancer. So a recent study drew attention to the overfat pandemic that is spreading across the U.S. And the researchers use the term overfat to describe the accumulation of fat around certain parts of the body. Guess which ones? Which the scientists point out is not accounted for by BMI. So, in, so a low BMI might be be misleading, for example, because belly fat is particularly harmful. So take a look at your navel right now, look down, navel gazing for everybody. And what is your abdominal, you know, are you uncomfortable around that area? A lot of women don't like their stomachs touched. They feel like if their um, stomach is overweight, that they're less uh, sensual, they're less sexual. They, it leads to low sexual desire. And this belly fat is particularly harmful with some studies showing that it it can raise the risk of diabetes and heart disease, while others reveal the mechanisms behind the association. So a new study, which has been published in the journal BMJ Open, adds to the growing body of research as researchers from University of Florida uh, in Gaines at Gainesville, discovered that people with a normal BMI, but high body fat are more prone to prediabetes or diabetes. So that's why it's not okay just to do the BMI. Uh, it, but I also do, I've also measured abdominal girth as well. And I measure thigh uh, girth. Uh, and um, <laughs> you can see there's a glass door in my office so people can see. And um, anyway, so they see me measuring up all these people, getting them on the scale, taking their blood pressure, Um, but recently I had a guy in my office and, um, good looking guy, (laughs) not that that I noticed, I don't really, I do not notice, but others, the other women in my office noticed and they said, he looked like he was getting angry at you. I'm digressing here. And, you know, and I said, Oh no, he's just gesticulating, just talking about his situation, you know, getting all upset. And then she said, so in other words, we shouldn't try to date him. And I said, no, not until I'm done with him. <laughs> anyway, but um, people can get all all upset about this. But, you know, if you're just watching something, you don't see it, you don't necessarily know uh, what's happening. But nonetheless, I digress away from a very important subject, prediabetes or diabetes. So it's important not just to do the BMI, but also to do the measure the fat. And so it is the high body fat, not the BMI, that is predictive of Uh, diabetes or pre-diabetes. So that is important. Cutting out sugar is um, really helpful. I have so many overweight patients in my clinical practice and I, you know, will say to them gently and gingerly um, a low glycemic index diet is best. I start with, you know, really how much sugar do you consume? Oh, not much. I don't have sugar in my coffee anymore. Uh, But they're consuming high glycemic index fruits and vegetables and breads and, and you know what, sugars in everything except for things you grow in your garden, things that are grown in the ground. Um, So, and protein. So you want to have a low glycemic index, high protein, low carb. You want to eat berries, antioxidant foods, um, you know, so those foods that are rich in antioxidants, you know, you want to live healthy you're, it'll affect your mobility. It will affect your sexual desire. It'll affect your attractiveness. It'll affect your ability to meet somebody else. I don't mean to be an obesity snob, and it's not that. It's really a health issue, and one in which we all need to pay a little bit more attention to. And honestly, I'm telling you, if there is, if you're in a sexless marriage or a sexless relationship, navel gaze. Okay, take a look. Is your um, <laughs> is your penis short? actually never got to the uh, Johns Hopkins um, subject. But there was a penis transplant that was done uh, at Johns Hopkins, and it looks like it was successful. So it looks like we're making strides in that area. Um, guys, and so, which is a great thing because, you know, a lot of guys are concerned with um their penis uh, in a lot of ways. So um check that out., uh, just Google Johns Hopkins and uh, penis transplant. that's good. I also want to read some of your emails in the last um, few minutes because they just absolutely cracked me up. And these are just a tasting of them. And I, I call it a day in the life of my inbox. Um, and of course the names are withheld. It's a little fun for you on a Sunday night. Dear sex lady, my cattle ranching husband doesn't want to have sex. He's an old school cowboy who does not want to talk about sex or his broken penis, but maybe with you, he would, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Uh, dear sex lady, we see lots. I love this one. <laughs> we see lots of people searching your name and landing up on our site. We are in the sex business over 500 clicks each month. In fact, the search term is Maureen McGrath married averages 10 times a month. No kidding. Wow. Well, don't discount them. They have any money. Do they have any hair? How tall are they? Anyway, um, dear sex lady. I'm a 50-something guy who blogs on things of interest to old men and the women who love them. I'm all about vices and virtues, anti-aging, hormones, hockey, cigars, scotch, etc. Dying to talk sex. Interviews are done with a sense of humor. How about an interview with the old guy? <laughs> Why not? Dear sex lady, I have a problem. Okay, this one, this is like, this will get you delinked. okay? <laughs> I have a problem with sex. It's too fast. I've had sex once. I'm ejaculating now as I write to you. Okay, delinked. He's out. Dear Sex Lady, just saw your TEDx talk on sexless marriage. Two minutes of sex, then nothing for months, plunges me into despair. Men want the world to think it's women who don't put out in marriage. Sales of Viagra prove it's the men who can't perform. Is that right, guys? Dear Sex Lady, (laughs) this was good. No one has ever suggested this, but this one person who admits to drinking. Dear Sex Lady, has anyone ever told you you look like Ivanka Trump? (laughs) I've been drinking truth. What's that sex toy? The womanizer all about anyway. Well, the womanizer is a clitoral suckling device. It is fantastic. Uh, It's for anyone who wants to have better orgasms, more orgasms, multiple orgasms, any orgasms. Anyway, you can go to my website, back to the ca, where you can find lots of information on that. You can always email me at sex talk. No, sorry. Nurse talk. (laughs) You can always email me at com, and I do love your emails, and I actually receive them all with a sense of humor, quite frankly. I take it from whence it comes. Keep in mind, May is Masturbation Month, one of my favorite months of the year. (laughs) Just reminding you that masturbation is okay, and I'm going to end with a little poem for you. You do not have to be good. You don't have to walk on your knees for 100 miles to the desert. Repenting, you only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination. Calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. I'm Maureen McGrath. You have been listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at CKNW.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.